Hey everyone, I'm Dominique. And I'm Heidi. Welcome to Morgrats. We're glad you decided to waste some time with us. <clears throat> I'm starving. I'm starving too. <laughs> we need to get some food. I know. We should have thought of that before we sat down here. Yes, we probably should have. <laughs> I want Thai food. Me too. Is that okay? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. But I... What's your favorite? Pad Thai. Okay, yeah. That's what I thought too. But I get it without the bean sprouts. No bean sprouts? No. Remember what happened with the bean sprouts? What? Um, refresh my memory. <laughs> How could you forget? Well, I may... You'll remember as soon as I start telling okay. this story. Okay. So someone who will remain unidentified had pad thai, and it comes with, you know, vegetables, so bean sprouts. Anyway, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. We should have given our disclaimer first. Yeah. Oh, well, go, no, go ahead. Sorry. Okay, <laughs> well, anyway, um, went to the bathroom, and immediately took themselves to the doctor straight to the doctor thought they were infested with worms oh my god there were worms all hundreds and hundreds <laughs> in the toilet those i'm fast forwarding through this story but gets to the doctor and shows him the picture or whatever of what had happened yeah and the doctor was like um before we like run all these tests on you and stuff um they do any scopes or whatever they <laughs> yeah. do when you're infested with worms the doctor says have you eaten pad thai lately? <laughs> that's so funny. I know. <laughs> so that's hilarious. Anyway, so either order your pad thai with no veggies, as I do. Yep. Or okay, fine. just know if you go to the bathroom and something looks like you have a bunch of worms, it was just, just the bean sprouts. Yep. Okay. So there you go. It's kind of an educational podcast here. There you go. Yes. Bean sprouts look like worms. <laughs> In the toilet. <laughs> All right. Well, before we start, we want to remind you we are talking about death. If you're easily offended by rude humor or foul language or are particularly sensitive to discussions about death, you may want to pass on this podcast. We are wildly inappropriate at times, but that comes directly from growing up in a funeral home. The way we insulate ourselves is by humor, and for us, it's a lot better to laugh even when you feel like crying. So, Heidi... What do you think would be the worst kind of torture? Um, probably settling to wa- settling in some night to watch The Bachelor and finding out I got no snacks. Ooh, <laughs> that would be bad. That you would go crazy. I think that would be probably be torture for everybody else in the house. Yeah, yeah. probably. <laughs> yeah. No, but um, seriously, probably being drawn and quartered. So that's where you, it's like you're cut open and they take out your guts and then cut off your arms and your legs. Yeah, that that doesn't sound like very that doesn't much fun. Sound, no, that sounds like it would hurt quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that is a bad one but you know what my kids got me a book of torture for christmas one year <laughs> of course it's i love it it's very fascinating reading but um i think the brazen bull would be really horrible you know what that is i don't think so okay it's where they build a big replica of a bull and it's made out of bronze or some kind of metal and it's hollow inside well they take a prisoner and they force it inside of this bull and then they close it up so that the prisoner can't get out and they light a fire underneath it. Do you know how it gets hot? Metal gets hot. Yeah. Well, they're basically cooked inside of that. Jeez. How do people even come up with things I, like this? Yeah, I don't know. And why would thousands of people gather around to watch someone suffer? Well, people are cruel and awesome. <laughs> We're yeah. such contradictions. Yes, we are. Yes. Well, there are tons of horrible things people have done to each other. 
but with all the gross methods of torture and execution out there, I think we have come across one that could be the absolute worst. Should we talk about it? Of course. All right. Well, for our death story, we are going to discuss possibly the most horrific way to die, and it's called scaphism. And our funeral home story tells of the time the undertaker's assistant messed with the wrong person. This episode is disgusting, disturbing, and graphic, and our funeral home story references suicide. As always, listener discretion is advised. That said, welcome to episode 38. Get it off me! (laughs) My skin's already crawling. crawling. Yes, oh yeah. Well... Okay, so what is scaphism? Only the most horrid thing you could do to a person. It's also called torture of the boats. Scaphism is a torture method devised by the ancient Persians where a person is laid down on their backs, either in a boat or in a hollowed out log. Then another boat or log is secured on top of them. Holes are cut out so the head, arms, and legs are exposed. So basically, they look like someone in a banana costume. Most of their body is inside the boats, but head and limbs are sticking out. That sounds really uncomfortable, but that's not even the start of it. The person is then force-fed, and a mixture of milk and honey is slathered all over their face, arms, and legs. And it gets worse. They are made to drink the milk and honey mixture, and to the point of nausea. Preferably, this is done in hot weather, where the victim's skin and his skin is exposed to the sun, and there's no way for them to shield themselves from the heat or ultraviolet rays. Then they are left there to bake. With all that milky, honey goodness coming off this sad sap, bugs start to appear out of nowhere. Within minutes, flies, wasps, bees, and all sorts of six-legged creatures swarm upon any bare skin, biting and stinging as they feast on this most luxurious buffet. wipe any of these bugs away they just have to grit their teeth and take it yeah. well i don't know about you but if someone fed me milk and honey it wouldn't be long before i'd need a toilet in fact this happens to me when i drink a dirty chai <laughs> which is so good i usually go through the torture it's fine but anyway i know the feeling this mixture usually causes a person to have diarrhea and they have no choice but to hershey squirt inside their little canoe. <laughs> You mean the runs? Yeah. Well, chocolate thunder, the skits, poop soup, (laughs) backdoor flood. (laughs) The discomfort level has just gone up a a couple notches. Bites and stings from the insects are beginning to get very painful. And the person's butt, back, shoulders, anything coming into contact with that lake of poop inside the boats is starting to get raw. The victim might feel some emotional relief when they see people coming back for them. Maybe they're thinking their torture is finally over. I imagine the bargaining comes in at this point. I'll never do it again. I've learned my lesson. I'll do whatever you want for the rest of my life. Just let me out so I can wash this shit off of me. (laughs) But the poor person will be sorely disappointed when his tormentors not only do not release him, they're coming at him with more milk and honey. 
Again, the sweet, sticky substance is poured over their flesh and forced down their throats. More bugs come. More explosive diarrhea. (laughs) (laughs) More frying in the sun. The bites are getting deeper. Flies have found their way inside the boats and are now buzzing around in that fetid ocean of dookie water. (laughs) After a few days, the victim is covered in angry, festering, pus-filled sores. Infection is setting in. A constant hum inside the boats remind him there are insects down there, laying eggs on his flesh and swimming laps in a sea of ass piss. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew diarrhea could be so funny? (laughs) He's terrified and helpless when the rodents appear. What happens when flies lay eggs? Those tiny pearls hatch into maggots. What do maggots do? eat flesh and they don't care if it's dead or alive. Rats squeeze their way inside the chamber and begin gnawing away as well. If the victim doesn't succumb to organ failure due to widespread infection, they will literally be eaten from the inside out by the maggots. Can you even imagine how painful that would be? I mean, it's a long process. It can take days or even weeks before the person dies. But did scaphism really happen? Some have their doubts. Since any concrete evidence of this kind of torture has been lost to time, we have to rely on ancient written accounts and there is only one detailing an execution by this method. What's more, the author of this account had some questionable motives as he hated the Persians and probably wanted to make them out to be as despicable as possible. Okay, so forgive the pronunciations because we are not scholars, but um, in his writings, the Greek Greek biographer Plutarchos tells of the torture and execution of a young Persian soldier named Mithridates. Now, there are three characters in this story. Mithridates, who we're going to just call the soldier, Artaxerxes II, who we're just going to call the king, and Artaxerxes' brother, Cyrus, who we will call Cyrus because that's easy. Well, in the ultimate bout of sibling rivalry, Cyrus tried to overthrow the king and the soldier killed Cyrus, therefore saving the king's empire. Rather than thanking the soldier for doing him a solid, the king said, hey, it would really be cool if you'd let me take credit for killing my brother. It'll be like our little secret. Besides, you like your life, right? You'd like to keep living it. Well, since this was a request directly from the king, the soldier probably figured he was in no position to object. So one night at a party, the soldier had too much wine and said something he shouldn't have. (laughs) Anyone relate to that? (laughs) Hello. (laughs) He started bragging about how he was actually the one who killed Cyrus and not the king. And as you can imagine, this infuriated the king because it made him look like a liar and a coward. Therefore, the king ordered the soldier to be tortured and executed by the boats, or scaphism. According to the narrative by the Greek biographer, it took the soldier 17 days to die. Oh my gosh. The reason this account draws some skepticism is, first, the biographer's hatred for the Persians. Also, he seemed to be the only independent source documenting torture by the boats. 
There's another reference to Scafism in later writings, but that was long after the Persian Empire ceased to exist, and it can't really be counted as an independent source. But wait, turns out Plutarchus's writings of this account was hundreds of years after the reign of Artaxerxes II. So he is only as reliable as the people he got his information from. So what do we make of this? Was scaphism a real torture and execution method? Or was it a tall tale invented by an ancient person with demented ideas passed on to entertain modern day people who are also demented? <laughs> we will never know. Nope. Ooh, I hope nobody suffered that fate. Yeah, I'm not even hungry anymore. <laughs> oh, jeez. <sighs> well, are you ready for our funeral home story? You know I am. All right, we're going to give you a little backstory on this. Um, we've mentioned Steve before in some of our episodes, you know, maybe a couple, but Steve is uh, a good friend of ours. He used to be our assistant, worked with us at the funeral home for, for many years. Also happens to be like one of our best friends for all of us, not just me and my husband, but for you too. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, really good friends. Love Steve. Love him. Love him. Um, but <laughs> Steve is a world-class butcher. That's even putting it mildly. Yeah. Let's, give, <laughs> let's just give you a little example of what how Steve likes to stir the pot. That you know what? That's it. He he just stirs the pot. He likes to just make all kinds of trouble and yep. just sit back and, and watch, watch and yep. act innocent and just watch yep. the show. Yep, yep. He likes to create chaos and then watch everything implode around him. Yep. And yeah. It, so let's tell you. I'm just. We're gonna take a little bit of time and tell you something that Steve did. One time my mom came to to my house and she gave me this um, beautiful pair of pajamas or loungewear and it was made of cashmere. It was, I mean, it was gorgeous and a pretty extravagant gift. Well, she when she gave it to me while I was working, Steve was in the office too. And um, so, you know, it, she gave it to me with, with Steve around. And then what did Steve proceed to do? Well, didn't he look at the tag and he, miss? Yes, he did. He looked at the tag and he, he thought he was looking at a price, but it was actually like an item number. Uh-huh. But he and went crazy about how he, expensive it he was. He went crazy about how expensive it was. So mm -hmm. Steve proceeds to pick up the phone and call me and just, you know, chit chat, no big deal. And he's like, hey, I'm just wondering, um, did your mom drop anything off for you? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't think so. And he goes, hmm, well, I think, you know, she got Dominique a really, really nice pair of pajamas. They're cashmere and they were super expensive. I mean, don't say I said anything, but you know, maybe she's got something for you too. Cause this was, this is a pretty nice gift. And so, you know, you might, next time you see her, she might have something for you. I don't know. Just wondering. Yeah. Then he hung up. Well, <laughs> um, I, we knew he was an utcher, mm -hmm. so Heidi, Mom, and I knew he was just trying to make trouble. <laughs> so we got together and said, we're going to teach him a lesson. Yep. So I went into office the next day, and I said, I hope you're happy, Steve. He goes, what? What did I do? I said, well, you pretty much ruined Thanksgiving. My sister is refusing to come to Thanksgiving because she's mad at mom for getting me these pajamas and she didn't get her anything. She, she just snapped and said, I've had it. You always treated Dominique better than me and I'm just sick of it. I've had it and I, I'm, I'm done with both of you. And I just went on and on and just kept telling Steve. <laughs> Steve so thanks. Is he turning like uh, And he's like, that. yeah, he's like, his eye, his mouth is gaping open like, oh my God, I don't really mean 
willing to do that. And like he's, and I understand. So I hope you're, I hope you're satisfied with yourself. You know, you're, you just ruined Thanksgiving. She's refusing to come. And I didn't talk to him for the rest of the day. Well, pretty soon, guess what he's doing? He's calling Heidi, who doesn't pick up. He's calling mom, who doesn't pick up. <laughs> he was in a full on panic. He was in a panic. And I, when I finally told him we were just kidding, uh-huh. he literally dropped to his knees and, and said, oh, thank God. He was so excited. He said, well, now, you know what? Think about what you do. Yeah. Don't run your mouth so much. Thank God I didn't care about those fucking pajamas. I, know, I mean, they were really nice. <laughs> much were they really no i don't want to know i don't want to know no i don't even know she you know what i don't care you have them anyway because i can't fit into them anymore so i gave them to you you did oh i didn't know those were the ones yeah because i washed them and shrank them not because so- i got big <laughs> well not that too but anyway, anyway yeah point is we don't care we didn't care at all but it was a really good opportunity to, to teach him a lesson yeah little shit anyway we do love him though yeah <laughs> we love that fucker but this so this story is um about steve and it's told from his perspective so hopefully you'll get a little get to know steve a little better <clears throat> plus i already told him i'd write a story about him oh yeah <laughs> anyway all right oh boy i'm in for it now that cop just pulled out behind me shit now his lights are on The undertaker has warned me so many times about speeding. He says if I get another ticket, the funeral home insurance will deem me as an uninsurable driver and I won't be able to drive the company cars anymore. If that happens, I may as well be out of a job since that's much of what I do, drive company cars. Uh, My personal rig's a pickup. I can't very well go on death calls in that. Well, maybe if I got a canopy for it, that might work. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll just pull over and explain to the cop that I'm taking a body to the cemetery. And I'm late. Why else would a hearse be speeding? Surely he'll let me off with a warning. Oh, let me just find a spot. A good spot to pull over. There, there. Turn the hazards on. That way people will think I'm in distress and the cop is just here to assist me. I don't need any nosy Nancy's calling the undertaker to let him know the hearse has been pulled over. Word of my mistakes always seem to get to him before I have a chance to tell him myself. That's what happens when you live in a small town. Here, get my license out, insurance card, registration. There, now just calm down and smile. Oh, the cop's getting out. Wonder who it is. Most of the deputies know me. We all get along pretty good. Wait, wait, what? No, please don't let it be Johansson. Please, please, please. Shit, it is Johansson. I am in big trouble. That fucker said he was going to get me, and now it looks like he's got his chance. But it was all in fun, and I would have apologized, but he was screaming and chasing me, and he was so mad, I half expected him to draw his weapon. It all started with a phone call in the middle of the night. Even if I wasn't on call, I had asked the undertaker to contact me if anything unusual happened. And by that, I mean accidents, murders, suicides, anything that wouldn't be considered a normal death, like in a hospital or hospice. The undertaker is perfectly capable of going on a death call by himself. So am I, but since we're best friends and not a whole lot of crazy stuff happens in our area, we both like to be there when it does. So he rang and said the county sheriff just called and there is a dead guy in a car way out on a forest road and it's nasty. 
Do I want to ride along? Well, I'm up and getting dressed as soon as he says, nasty. I told the undertaker I'd meet him at the funeral home in five minutes. It took us almost an hour to get to the scene. When we pull up, we see two deputies standing beside two cop cars with lights flashing. The coroner is with them. We can't see the car with the dead guy in it because the cop cars are blocking the view. The undertaker and I get out of our van and greet Kent, the coroner, and Grady and Johansson, the deputies. We know these guys, work with them a lot. Johansson looks pale and sweaty, not well at all. Are you sick, I ask him. Since I saw that, answered Johansson, pointing past the cop cars. Kent and Grady start laughing. He's already tossed his cookies twice, said Kent. Who'd have known you were such a wimp, said Grady. I looked Johansson up and down. He was a huge guy, 6'4", 6'5", maybe, at least 270. He didn't look like the type to be bothered by a little blood and guts. He was a cop, for God's sake. You guys will shut up if you know what's good for you, said Johansson. The rest of us laid off him, and Kent Kent the coroner brought the undertaker and me around to the dead guy's car. God, I yelled, it freaking smells. Oh, he's good and ripe, Kent began to explain the situation. The vehicle comes back registered to Tom Smith, who was reported missing by his family in Seattle three weeks ago. So this is Mr. Smith then, asked the undertaker. Kent nodded his head. That's what his driver's license says, and the suicide note. You should have seen the flies when we opened the car door. Kent expanded his arms in a wide arc. Massive black cloud. There were millions of them. Grady chuckled. That's the first time Johansson puked. Johansson yelled. They were all over me. I can still feel them. The big deputy shuddered. I had to know, so I asked, how'd Mr. Smith do it? Kent shrugged. Not quite sure. He's pretty far gone with this heat and all. It's hard to tell. Well, you'll know what I'm talking about when we get to him. The undertaker and I stepped closer to the open door of the car. The smell cloyed in the air and I had to pull the collar of my shirt up over my nose. Flies buzzed all around. The undertaker said, Yuck, I'm going to go grab a disaster pouch. He left for our van. I stayed with Kent, Grady, and Johansson and waited. There was no way to get away from that smell. Johansson clearly looked like he was going to hurl again and he kept swiping the air so the flies wouldn't land on him. I noticed my shoe was untied, so I knelt down to tie it. Then I had a brilliant idea. I plucked a long strand of grass and hid it behind my back as I stood. The undertaker returned with the body bag, and as he unwrapped it, he tossed the packaging on the ground. I'll pick that up later, Johansson said. No worries, I'll grab it for you. And as he squatted to get the discarded, and he squatted to get the discarded plastic. I could barely control my grin as I poked that bearded tip of that grass on the back of Johansson's neck. He slapped at his skin and flapped his arms around like he was being singed. Damn it, those flies, disgusting. Grady saw what I was doing and laughed, but didn't give me away. Instead, he upped the ante and said, Hey Johansson, you know every fly that lands on you has been on rotten flesh. They're probably leaving little moist spots on you wherever they touch. Johansson stumbled away, bent over. It probably wasn't right of us, but we all laughed at Johansson. It just seemed so weird to see this great big guy being such a sissy. 
Tom Smith's body wouldn't bend and it stank like nothing else and every exposed piece of skin crawled with maggots. The sight of this caused Johansson to step aside and puke again. <laughs> I acted like I was comforting him, but while my one hand patted Johansson's back, the other tickled his ear with that long stem of grass. The big deputy flailed around and shook his head, practically in convulsions. His screams were quite feminine. I can't handle these flies, he breathed. They're really grossing me out. Johansson stomped toward his squad car. Finally, the undertaker and I got Mr. Smith zipped up in the disaster pouch and loaded in the van. We gathered with Kent, Grady, and Johansson to get final notes and say goodbye. Kent leaned against a squad car and rubbed sanitizer onto his hands. I'll call the medical examiner and let them know this guy will be coming their way. The undertaker replied, sounds good. I nonchalantly walked behind the group, holding onto the stalk of grass. Since I had stuffed it in my pocket while we loaded the body, the stem was crooked and limp. I had to grab it closer to the bearded top to keep it from flopping over. Grady laughed. Have fun riding back with that smell. The undertaker groaned and I reached that grass toward Johnson's ear, Johan Johansson's ear. When it touched him, the deputy screamed and whirled around. Maybe it was because I was holding the stock so close to the top, or maybe he was just quicker this time, but whatever the reason, Deputy Johansson caught me red-handed, tickling him with that grass. Well, I knew I was done for. I took off sprinting down the desolate dirt road, heart pounding when I heard Johansson was hot on my heels. I ran and ran, I didn't dare stop. After a few seconds, I could hear that Johansson had stopped running, but he was screaming, You motherfucker, I'll get you, just wait. And now it looks like it's my time to pay the piper. I glance in the side mirror, watching Deputy Johansson walk toward my car while taking a notebook from his breast pocket. Finally, he looks up and our eyes meet in the mirror. When he recognizes me and it's not the undertaker, Johansson gets this satisfied smirk on his face and struts with a little more purpose. Oh God, I am in so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have happened to a better person. Yep. <laughs> I hope he got a ticket. I don't even remember. <laughs> oh, it's all fun and games. Yep, yep, yep. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Remember, be kind. Any day above ground is a good one. And finally... Keep on breathing.